0: We are in uh, the end of uh, the, the series that we're doing on the parables. And we have one more week. Next week is a Palm Sunday. There will be palms involved in Palm Sunday. So be sure and bring your cell phone so you can take plenty of pictures. There's going to be some special music, kids waving palm branches and all those good things as we prepare to receive our Lord into Jerusalem where he goes to the cross for us. But this is kind of taking a step or two back from that event and looking at the parables of Jesus, as has been said, and we're talking about the parable of, of, of the unjust judge and the widow. Now, if you followed along with the scripture as Tony read it, you probably saw what could be considered some inconsistencies with the Christian faith. And here's, here's kind of the way Jesus works with that. In fact, it was a pretty consistent with the way He did parables. Uh, Vendetta uh, referred to the idea of us learning you know, from the parables from different perspectives, and Tony touched on that as well. But here's what I want you to, to kind of think about as we look at this parable. There are some inconsistencies here that if you told this parable to people back then, they would have felt the inconsistencies. And if you tell people this parable today, they're gonna look at that and probably wonder, well, what does this have to do with me and which character do I need to identify with? Because there are some times in my life when I've felt like the judge. And there are some times in my life when I've felt like the widow. Sometimes in my life when I've felt like giving up. And other times in my life when I knew that I had to Persist. Well, look at what goes on in the story here. The scripture says, and I'm just going to repeat the reading uh, from a different um, version of the scripture just to kind of give us a different perspective as well. Jesus told his disciples a parable and he laid it out for them exactly what it was he wanted them to learn from the parable. So he makes it plain and clear to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So we heard about a couple of concepts already this morning. The idea of persistence and power. Persistence and power. And those two concepts are uniquely tied to prayer. And so, as Jesus was teaching his followers and those who did not follow him, who were listening on the fringe, on the outer edges of belief, as he was teaching those people, he was saying, This is how we should pray in the kingdom of God and not give up. And then he throws them a curveball and tells them another story. The story is, Uh, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, first of all, women did not go to court. They didn't belong in court. It was frowned upon for women to be even in the court. So this lady was breaking a social more just by showing up in court at all. But because she's identified as a widow... It means that she didn't have a husband to go to court and fight for her. So what we believe is happening here is she lost her husband and the land or the possessions that would have been due to her as a widow were under attack from some outside force. Somebody else who was trying to take a hold of those, take possession of those. And so she doesn't have anybody to advocate for her. She didn't have a lawyer. She didn't have a husband, no brother, No uncle, nobody who was living to come and advocate, so she had to come and do that herself. So she had one strike against her already in the story. Now, people back then would have gotten that. Today, maybe not so much because women can go to court and can even advocate for themselves and can even be counsel and can even be judges in court these days, right? Back then, it didn't work that way. So she goes to court to advocate for herself, grant me justice against my adversary. We don't know exactly what the adversary was about, but we believe it had something to do with the adversary trying to take what was due her that was left to her by her husband who would have passed away. So she's fighting for justice here, isn't she? She's fighting for something that's right. And the people listening to that story would have begun to identify with that not only because it was a woman who was going and advocating for herself, but also because they wanted justice. The Jews wanted justice and freedom from the Romans. They wanted to be a free nation, to worship as they pleased, where God had called them. And the Romans were oppressing them. The Romans had command over them. So there was a sentiment among the Jews that they had difficulty with being oppressed by the Romans. And so when you see this story come to light and you see her, the lady coming to court and advocating for herself, there's already a sense there that some justice needs to take place. And so it would have already begun to rile up the people who were listening to the story about giving her justice. The reality of the unjust judge is that he had an attitude about himself that probably tweaks your nerves right off the bat. She came and And humbled herself to him and said, please, in the name of justice, help me against my adversary. And the scripture makes it plain that he didn't care about two different types of interaction. He didn't care about God, and he didn't care about what other people thought. Did you catch that from the reading? He didn't care about God, and he didn't care about what other people thought. What's interesting about that is that that flies in the face of Jesus' teaching about how the kingdom of God works and a true summary of what the Ten Commandments are. Look at what the scripture says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which the judge did not do, he did not love God, and with all your soul and with all your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second thing the judge didn't do is he didn't care about what anybody else thought. He didn't love his neighbor. He didn't even care what his neighbor thought or care whether or not his neighbor was even there. Now, this lady qualified as his neighbor. And, you know, from back in the story, you know, the man simply just didn't care about what anybody else thought. That's why he's called the unjust judge. And as we look back on him, we find him in the story. In fact, if you want to follow me in the reading, we find him in the story finally relenting to the woman and giving her what she wants for what reason? Why did he say that he wanted to give her justice? It was not because of justice's sake. It was what? Because she was going to nag him so much that he was going to feel like being beat up. Now, first of all, It's ludicrous for a woman to show up in court at all, but second of all, it's absolutely ridiculous, the idea of an old widow lady beating up a judge. It's absurd, it's audacious, it's ridiculous. This is how Jesus taught. He taught in such a way as to give you enough information that you could identify with, and then he took the whole story and turned it upside down and just made it absolutely absurd. Reason is, is he wanted to teach something about our character and about the character of God. Now, sometimes in that culture, they would teach things outright, but sometimes in that culture, they would teach things in opposites. They would show you the opposite of something to highlight the truth of it when it was in its opposite state. It's a sort of a darkness against the daylight principle. You know, some cultures might call that yin and yang You know, the idea that that it's always darkest before what? Before the dawn, right? And so we're being taught here about the character of God and how it doesn't work in opposites so that we can kind of learn something about the character of God. But what's interesting about this is that the man finally grants justice. Justice does prevail for the lady in the end. Now, we don't know beyond this story what actually happened in the story. We only know that the unjust judge gave in and relented to justice simply because he really didn't want a headache. He didn't want the headache of dealing with the woman coming back and being persistent. But what can we learn about this story, uh, learn in this story about the nature of persistence in prayer? When we approach God, does God get a headache? Does he get a migraine and take that excedrin migraine medicine because he's hearing our prayers? Does he need to go to bed because we're wearing him out? Have you ever felt like you didn't want to bother God with your prayers? So maybe I'm not going to approach God with my prayers because maybe he's got too much other stuff to deal with and my little first world problems don't matter to him. Have you ever felt that way before? That's our temptation, isn't it? But Jesus would say, no, don't think of it that way in fact i love you so much i love you so much that i gave everything to be able to hear your prayers you see without jesus god is a holy god and i am not holy without jesus god is a holy god and i am sinful i'm sinful from the moment of conception without jesus i don't have a prayer Without Jesus I don't have the chance to share what's in my heart with the Holy God because there's a chasm between us. And the chasm between us is called sin. But because God loves us so much and gave so much for us, it gives us the ability to have that chasm bridged. The chasm is bridged now and forever. So I can talk to God directly without an intermediary, without having to go through anybody. I can talk to God as if He's my Father, which is why when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, our Father who art in heaven, not, oh God, who is separate and distant from me, and hopefully I can get to your courts and be good enough someday to approach you, no. When I call out to God, it's our Father. Jesus died and rose again so that that bridge could be built. He is the one who builds it. And so I can go to God on demand and ask him for what I need, what I want, tell him how I feel, and be prepared to hear responses from him through his word and through his people and through the circumstances of life. And in fact, this becomes God's purpose for Jesus. The purpose is not that simply some of us will bump into the gospel, the good news of Jesus, believe it, and maybe our lives will get a little better. No. The purpose of Jesus is to bridge that gap between us and a holy God who we would not be able to approach on our own power. Jesus accomplishes this irrespective of how we behave and what we believe and what we think. Jesus manages this and does it for us. And then the good news of the kingdom of God is that that grace and that beauty and that power is ours for the taking. Here's the idea. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were drowning in life. Like life was just overtaking you. Now maybe your life is as perfect as it could possibly be today. Praise God, that's awesome. But you can remember a time in your life, can you not? If it isn't right now, when you felt like you were underwater and you didn't have a hope, those times exist as the darkness before the dawn. Those are the times that we are called to tap into the power of God through prayer. There is no other and better power that exists to carry us through life than the power of God. Wouldn't you agree? Because when you're lying in bed at night, wondering what you're going to do, wondering how you're going to respond, or how you're going to get up the next day and do it all again, the one who has the power to whisper in your ear, even if there's somebody snoring right beside you, the one who has the power to whisper in your ear is the holy God who sent his son to die for you and rise again for you and live an abundant life through you. Here's what that looks like. It's literally like taking your favorite appliance, maybe it's that coffee maker you love, or maybe it's that vacuum cleaner you can't wait to use when you get home today, or whatever it is, and taking it and plugging it right into the wall and flipping the switch on. We know that we cannot use power tools unless they're either powered by a battery or what? Plugged into the wall. You can try to turn on a power tool and cut a two by four with it if it's not plugged into the wall, but unless it's plugged into the wall, what's the power tool gonna do? Nothing. Now you can take the power tool and try to beat it on the two by four to break it in half, but it's not really meant for that, is it? That's like you and I trying to solve our own problems in life without God. It's ridiculous. It's absurd and to God, it's the opposite of his purpose. Humans in the kingdom of God trying to solve our own issues and get ourselves through troubled days is like trying to take a power tool, beat a two by four in half, instead of simply plugging the thing in and using it the way it was designed to be used. These are how our thoughts, our feelings, our inner workings were designed to be used. In prayer, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean assuming the position and closing eyes and bowing heads 24 hours a day. It means literally walking around, talking to God. God, I'm having a difficult day. There's somebody I'm missing today and my heart is broken. Please bring me comfort. And in that prayer, God responds to you. I will comfort you. I will leave you, I will never forsake you. I will be here with you. I will be beside you when you miss that person. Or when some kind of loss has happened to you at work, you've lost a job or you've lost a promotion, the opportunity for advancement or you've lost face and you're walking around at work, wondering how you're gonna do your job. You can walk around at work in prayer. God walk with me, be with me today. I don't know how I'm going to do this. God isn't troubled by those kinds of prayers. God doesn't look at your prayers and say, that's first world problems. I got the third world over here to deal with. We haven't even talked about what the second world looks like. God doesn't do that. That's absurd. God hungers and desires to hear those prayers of yours. He desires it. That's why prayer is such a big part of our gathering. We do a lot of praying here, don't we? But prayer was not meant to be confined to one or two hours on Sunday morning. Prayer is meant to be a life. It's meant to be the oil that makes the engine of your life run. Many of us, too many of us, are trying to run those engines without oil. We're trying to run in our own power. And God looks at that and shakes his head and say, My child, just bring it to me. Whatever it is, bring it. Don't hold it back. Bring it to me. I want to hear it. I want to work in it. That's the power of prayer. God works in that. And as he works in that, something psychological happens. Now, if you're not yet a believer, or you have some doubts about belief in God, there's a psychological effect that takes place when you pray. And there's a little bit of research behind this. It brings peace. That was also a part of God's purpose in connecting with us through Jesus. He wants us to live a life of peace. Even if we're in the middle of conflict, he wants us to live a life at peace. That peace is with him and with who else? And with other people. What if we're in an adversarial relationship at work? What if we're in one at home? What if we're in an adversarial relationship with life itself? Have you ever had those days when you feel like everybody and everything is against you? There's one thing that brings peace. It is the gospel message of Jesus, yes, that Jesus died for you and rose again from the grave for you and grants you an abundant life. But on those days when you don't feel like your life is abundant, this is how peace comes. It comes through communion with God, also known as prayer. Prayer and walking around in conversation with God brings peace. Have you ever thought about that? You know, think of it this way. If you've had a hard day and there's somebody that you come home to talk to about your hard day, Even if you can't change the circumstances of your difficult day, sometimes just talking it out with another person makes you feel better, doesn't it? That's how we're uh, programmed. That's how we're wired. Now imagine living a life where you do that with God 24-7. It would be possible with that kind of habit in your life to live at peace, wouldn't it? But too often we're tempted to think, God's too busy. He doesn't wanna hear from me. He's got other bigger problems to solve. Guess what, that's not true. In fact, God loves to hear those little tiny prayers because to, you, to him, you are not a little tiny person. To him, you're the kind of person who's enough to die for. That's who you are. Here's what Paul says about this idea. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, what's a petition? In this context, it's simply asking God for what you need, or perhaps even for what you want. God may say yes, He may say no, or He may say what? Just wait, or not yet, right? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends or goes above all human understanding, will guard your hearts, your hearts that may be troubled within you, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is your heart and your mind that keeps you up at 2 o'clock in the morning, worrying about things. Think about the idea of replacing that worry with prayer. It's your mind and your heart that troubles you when you walk around at work with a heavy uh, burden, of psychological burden. Your heart's heavy, your mind's heavy. Your heart and your mind will be protected as you replace that worry and that burden with prayer. But here's the key. Look at the last phrase there. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now this is the key. This is so important. Guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus looks like this. Jesus says these very words about prayer. Love this. John 14, he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in who? In the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And what does the scripture say? Let's read it out loud. I will do it. Now, here's a question for you today. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he will do what he says he will do? Do you believe that? If you do, then recognize in plain print what Jesus is promising you. But now here's the promise. The promise is this. I will do whatever you ask how, in my name. Now that's an old phrase, that's an old phrase that basically says, if you're asking God for something, you're asking him for something in the name of Jesus. And this is more than just getting to the end of the prayer and saying all these things, and then saying in Jesus' name, amen. Here's an example, God, I want to get rich by the time I get home and have my car parked safely in my garage. In Jesus' name, amen. Ridiculous and absurd, right? But we do that kind of stuff. We think that if we tag the prayer with in Jesus' name, then God's going to say, okay, move that to the front of the line. Here's what that means. It means praying it as if Jesus... We're praying it. Now as you see the life of Jesus unpack in the scripture. You see how he works right? You see what he does. You see how he behaves. You see what he asks God for. Measure your prayers against his. If they need to be updated. Then update them. Prayer 2.0. Track along with what Jesus prays. Pray that. And Jesus says he will do what? He will do it. Not he'll think about it. Not he'll put it on a list and get to it on Thursday. He will do it. Now it may not happen right then. It may happen later. But it'll do. It'll work. It'll happen. The key question is what is it we pray for? How do we pray? Do we ask God for things that work in the kingdom of God and by his grace? Or do we ask for things that merely apply to us? Now it's okay and it's commanded and encouraged to bring our cares and our troubles to the Lord in prayer. This is good. This is a right thing to do. But the motive of the heart is what's being taught here. The idea that the kingdom of God runs on prayer. Prayer is the oil for the engine of the kingdom of God. This is what we're called to persist in. But not like we're trying to start a new habit that we don't enjoy. As a new lifestyle that we can't live without. That's what God is calling us into in a life of prayer. When the scripture says pray without ceasing. We know what that looks like, don't we? It's just talking to God. And as we talk to God and adopt the language and the motif of Jesus, we will begin to see God work in those prayers. And it's going to make us want to do what? More prayer. We will see those prayers come to fruition. This is not a suggestion This is a promise. And the question becomes, will you and I believe it and trust it in the same way we believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who calls us to prayer. My hope is that you're going to be encouraged, that you're going to feel encouraged and lifted up, that there is a powerful source of God's mercy and power that is available to you in prayer. Think about how prayer works as you pray. Pray as Jesus does and would. And if there have been times in your past that you've prayed things selfishly, join the club. We all have. We've all done it since the days we were kids and asked God for things for Christmas in Jesus' name. Sometimes we still do that. By the power of Jesus' blood, those things are covered. But God doesn't leave us there. He wants all of us. He wants us all. He wants to be in communion with us and in conversation with us at all times. So I'd ask you to pray with me now. And my hope is that you're encouraged and uplifted and that you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, tap into all the power that's available to you through Jesus and in his name. Would you pray with me?